to look forward. That is what we're going to look at today. Now, to look forward, we need to look to the past. We need to look at ourselves. We need to look at Christ's coming. And last, and the final point is that we need to look that God wants to change us in the whole process. And that's what we're going to look at this morning because we are indeed looking at what God is going to do in this year ahead of us. I will tell you that I would have not thought of using this as a theme for a New Year's um, kind of uh, sermon, but as the Lord showed me this, and I, and I didn't go picking it out, I just came across it and said, Lord, what do you want me to use? I had something else in mind. He said, no, this is the one, and now I know why. Because it tells us that there are tough times, and it doesn't mince any words about that. In fact is, as I read it, I realized that 13 years from now, I will be on borrowed time. You may not, you're going, some of you are going, what are you talking about? Yeah, by the time I hit 70, I will be on borrowed time according to this psalm. Some of you are past that already. So, um, right, Bob? He's back there laughing at me. So, but anyway, you'll understand why when we get about halfway through the, the psalm. You'll understand. And it may help you to come to grips with some of the things that you see in life. This is the oldest of all the psalms. It was most likely written by Moses. In fact, as I believe it was, I believe it was written by Moses about the time when they spend, spent... 40 years wandering in circles in the wilderness. And so you'll understand when you see what he's talking about, why he would say these things. But he uses that whole time as an analogy of what life is really about. So let's look very specifically at the psalm itself, because what it does, it puts together and contrasts and compares the eternity and the everlastingness of God and our finiteness, our shortness of life. And it puts the two together in a very real way and says, okay, if this is the case, what are you doing about today? What are you doing about tomorrow? And what are you going to do with this very short life that God has given you. So that's how it all puts it together. So let's look at it uh, with that in mind. It starts out by saying in verse 1, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. So I'm pretty sure that's who wrote it. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Amanda, thank you for that song because it does fit very well with this. Notice with that, we're looking at the past so that we can move forward. If you look at the past, you need to look at one thing. Has God done anything in your life in the past? Now, in Moses' case, God had protected them and grown them from a family to a nation while even in slavery and then had freed them. Against all odds, he had freed them by miracles and plagues, and all those things, God had shown himself strong and faithful. The people had not been, but God had been. And it says, you have been our dwelling place. Let's face it. We all have a house. We all have lots of things. That's, that's great. Not everybody has those things. But those things are temporary. 
They have a start and they have an end. God says he alone is the only permanent home that we have. Our relationship with him. If you don't have that, I'm going to tell you when you look at the rest of the psalm, it'll look like the whole world is falling apart. By the way, that's partly true, but it's not completely true for believers. Only God is the one who gives us a permanent home. Moses could look back and say, God, you have proven yourself. There's no doubt about that. And why did he do that? Because verse 2 says, before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. i got to tell you, at that point, we understand that supernatural kicks in. I understand seconds and minutes and days and years. That's about all I understand. When you hit the word eternity, I haven't a clue in a practical way of how that operates. In his case, it's eternity past. He never came into existence. He always existed. And he never goes out of existence. Now, we, on the other hand, have a beginning and never go out of existence. We're immortal. Because that's what God says. Whether we're in heaven or hell for all eternity, we're immortal. We have to deal with what we do on this earth for all eternity. I call this earth and these short years we have here, this is boot camp, preparing for eternity. Where you spend eternity has to do with what you've done with Christ. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior or have you rejected him? That determines heaven or hell. And our blessings, our uh, rewards in heaven are determined by how we use this time. He tells us that knowing the fear of God, we persuade men. And we know that we have to answer for every deed that we do in our body, whether good or bad or evil. Better translation, whether it was worthwhile or worthless. That is what we need to answer for. And we also know that even those that have not trusted Christ will be judged according to their deeds at the great white throne judgment. And so, for all eternity... All eternity is determined by what we do and the choices we make here and the life we live here. There's no way around that. That is biblical. And God says, I was eternal that way and I'm eternal this way and I will hold you accountable for that. In fact is, he says in verse 3, Thou dost turn man back to dust and dost say, Return, O children of men. The word dust there is pulverized. That's what you do to grain so that you can make bread out of it. You pulverize it so that you can use it, and it's, it's possible. That's what your teeth do. They pulverize your food so you can swallow it and use it effectively to grow and to be strong. God says, I will turn you back to dust. You go, wow, I don't like that. Well, you're not going to like a few other things in this psalm. It doesn't end gloom, despair, and misery, but it paints a picture of how this life really is. If I was to, and I'm not going to do this, if I went through the audience today and said, is life right now tough for you? Most of you could, quite honestly, without being gloom, despair, and misery, say, yeah, there's something tough going on in my life. There are bad relationships, there's bad health, there's bad, you name it. Just go right across the board. 
not everything is the way it could be, every, the way I would like it to be. And God says, our end truly is that we go back to dust. This body, which is deteriorating, and every year it seems like it deteriorates on an exponential rate. Uh, my wife and I get out of bed in the morning and we listen to each other groan as we make those first movements. How many years? It's not that long ago that we didn't do that, right? Yeah, it's not that long ago, but anyway... That's what happens, and it seems like it gets worse. By the way, between 56 and 57 was the worst for me. I don't know about you, but uh, that's where it seemed to be the worst, and that's where I'm at now. So anyhow, we are going back to dust, and it's a process. I'll get into that a little bit later. But also, when looking at the past, we realize that God doesn't see things the way we do. God transcends. He's above, beyond. He exceeds time. And by nature, he is timeless. Slightly different than eternity, but he's timeless. He isn't bound by a clock. We punch a time clock. We uh, do things by our calendar. We do all those kinds of things. We have appointments by time. God isn't limited to that. People at Garden Chapel aren't limited to that. That was a joke forget it. It didn't work. Okay. But anyway, look at the way God says it. In case anybody was wondering if you're always here on time, there's a joke that goes around here in case you haven't heard it, Garden Chapel time. Okay. But anyway, God isn't on Garden Chapel time either because he's not on anyone else's time frame. He is above. He transcends time. It says in verse 4, For a thousand years in thy sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. So let's start with the one that, you know, a watch in the night. A watch is three hours. There's a, three watches in a night in the, those days. You would have the first watch, second watch, or third watch. Three hours. You would be up when everybody else is sleeping. A watch in the night, if you're sleeping, is a very quick time because you might get woken up for the third watch or the second watch. But if you're the one on watch, it seems like a long time. There's a real big difference in the perception you have of it, the way you perceive it. But he says, it's like if you're sleeping through that watch, three hours goes like that, and it's gone. But he says... A thousand years in thy sight are like yesterday when it passes. Now, in the New Testament, it says in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that in the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. This in Psalm 90 is saying something even more than that. It's saying it's like yesterday when it's gone. That's the way it is. It's like, poof, it's gone. It's totally... I will tell you, a lot of people get this messed up from uh, 2 Timothy, or, I'm sorry, 2 Peter, where it says, uh, to the Lord one day is as a thousand years, or a thousand years as one day. They say, oh, and they come up with some real wild prophecies doing this, but that's not what it says. It simply says, is as. It doesn't say a day is a thousand or a thousand is a day. It does not say that. It simply says, with God's view, and the best we can do is 
thousand years, one day, it's all the same to God. That's all that means. Anything more than that to try to make days prophecies and use it in Genesis to make a day a thousand years does not work, should not work, because that's not what it says. But God transcends. He's above time. He doesn't see it the way we do. He has the ability to see past, present, and future all at the same time. He is not limited in the same way that we are. And so we look at this and say, what are we going to do tomorrow? What, what happened yesterday? He doesn't look at it that way. But we need to understand that time is a fragile commodity. How many of you would say that 2009 went the fastest of any year in your life? Yeah, and the older folks are the ones that put their hands up because that's the way it seems. Every year just seems to go faster. And that is part of the sermon this morning to, to kind of remind us that, yes, that's exactly what happens. It says, Thou hast swept them, the time, the days, away like a flood. They fall asleep in the morning. They're like the grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. I'm reminded of looking at a cornfield on a year when it's very dry. By afternoon, the corn looks like the leaves have just kind of shriveled up and, and become smaller. But in the morning, after a night of a cool night, it looks normal. That's what it's saying. Our time, sometimes on a good day, in the morning, it's like, wow, hey, this is great. And then by afternoon, it's really starting to wither. He says, that's what our time is like. It's a fragile commodity. And we only have so much of it. We only have the same as everyone else. And we need to make sure that as we look to the past, we realize, wow, that went fast. And I need to use it wisely because the future is even going to go faster. Point number two this morning. And this is the part that's the toughest part of this whole psalm. It says in verse 7, we, we need to look to ourselves and we need to look at the, uh, where we are and what is happening in our lives. It says in verse 7, For we have been consumed by thy anger, and by thy wrath we have been dismayed. Thou hast placed our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, in the light of thy presence. The point is this. You say, wow, that's depressing. I thought there's forgiveness with God. I thought uh, he make, gives us new life. Yes, that is true. Both of those are true. But what he is saying here, what he is looking at, is the whole concept of the sin nature. Started in the garden when he said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They went and ate anyway. As a result of that, man was separated from God. And as a people that are separated from God, we receive the consequences of our sin. That is true. Whether you've trusted Christ or not, that is still true. We don't live under its power completely anymore, but it still has a huge impact, a huge influence. And the consequences of that are still felt in our lives. And so as we go through life, we see that life is very fleeting. It's very quick because God has put in place the process of death. And whether it's 
degeneration or disease or deterioration or destruction or the process of death itself. Life is short. Remember, man was not, me- was not created to be temporary. From what we know from Scripture, if Adam and Eve had never sinned, they would have lived forever. And so would have everyone else after that but the, uh, here on this earth. But they did sin. And so what God created to be permanent life now is temporary. It's passing, and it's very short-lived. And it has the consequences of the death process in it. So we don't have to wonder why we get sick. We don't have to wonder why we groan in the morning when our joints don't want to work. Or last night I was helping somebody fix something and I was in a position where my knee was bent. And I went to get up and I got to tell you, it took me 10 seconds to straighten out my knee. Now that's, I'm too young for that. But that's the way it is. We, we are growing old. It's, we're deteriorating. That's life. And it should not surprise us if the relationships of this life are the same way. Because everything in this life deteriorates. It's been affected and infected by sin. That's what this is talking about. Not individual sins. If you sin individually and get in trouble for it, that's not what this is talking about. Even though it will greatly, greatly aggravate this process. But this is just simply because you're alive. Just because you've been born. You've been born with a sin nature. You live in a sin-cursed world. Satan is the god of this world. And you have an old nature that wants you to do what you know you shouldn't do. And all of these things put together make for a life that he describes here of being consumed in his anger. We've seen his wrath and we're dismayed. Our iniquities are out there. Our, our life, our sin is out there for all to see. Even those things that we think we can hide from everyone else, they're still there. It makes life hard. I'm telling you, there are whole streams of Christianity, whole philosophies in Christianity. If you trust the Lord and you live a right life, everything is going to be fine and dandy. Next year will be the wonderful year. By the way, I think next year will be a wonderful year. That's what I'm going to end with. But I'm going to tell you, if it's going to be a wonderful year, you're going to deal with the hard stuff. The stuff that deteriorates. The stuff that is more painful. The relationships that are hard. All of those things will have to be dealt with. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans. We are needing to be delivered from this body of death. He's struggling. What's going on, Lord? Why why do I have this struggle in my life? And he, he comes to the conclusion that he's a wretched man. But he says then, he says, but thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ who will deliver us from this body of death. And that doesn't happen while we're still on this earth. It is when we are forever with him in heaven. That's when that happens. He also says in Romans that this whole creation groans, waiting for the redemption, waiting for a time when it will all be changed. But the truth of the matter is, last year had that, and this year coming up is also going to have that. 
You didn't come Sunday morning to have to hear that. But it's not the end of the story. But it is reality. If you go into this year thinking everything is going to be fine, nothing bad is going to happen, you are simply fooling yourself. That's not reality. You need to look at what God says. The fact is, he goes on in verse 9 to say that all of our days have declined in thy fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. That's what the psalmist is saying. It's like just... It's like that's beginning to end of life. He goes on to say, As for our days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone, and we fly away. We ought to sing a break into a chorus of I'll fly away, because that's where it comes from. He says, 70 years, that's why I said, 13 years from now, I'll be on borrowed time. Because God doesn't promise us any more than that. fact is, some of us don't even make it to 70. But the truth is, if you're 70, you're on borrowed time. Sorry, folks, but that's the way it is. And if you're over 80, you are on really good borrowed time. None of us are guaranteed that. Actually, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. But he says the norm is... 70, 80 years maximum. The fact is, if we were to go back, and I was thinking about doing this on the overhead, but I chose not to because of time. But uh, we can see, if you look in the Bible, Methuselah, lives how, Methuselah lived how long? 969. Noah lived 950. Adam lived 930. And then we get to Moses, who wrote this psalm. He lived 120. And then he wrote this psalm and said... And by the time you read this, it'll be 70 or 80. That is the way God designed us. We are in a downhill spiral. And the only reason we even live more than that is because we transplant hearts and all kinds of stuff today. That, but naturally, we wouldn't live even as long as we live today. But it ends this part of it with this, Who understands the power of thine anger and thy fury according to the fear that is due. Thee. See, if God unleashed the full fury of his wrath and his judgment against, against sin, we couldn't stand it. But because of Jesus Christ, who died for us, who paid the price of our sin, we can deal with this life. But there is anger against sin. Never discount that God cannot, does not, never will tolerate sin. And we live in a sin-cursed body, in a sin-cursed world, and God is against those things. That's what this is saying. It doesn't say you've made an, uh, talked to, uh, uh, done an individual kind of sin. It's just because you're alive. It's not personal. He says that we are to use our days wisely. Verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. The word number simply means to be accountable for our days. We need to answer to God for what we do. Everyone, everyone has to. We need to do that. And we need to realize that it's limited. We can't say, well, I'll do that tomorrow. You don't know about tomorrow. Well, I'll do that a few years from now. I'll do that when I retire. I'll do that. I, I, you, whatever it is. 
That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you're responsible for today. What are you going to do with your life today? And that's where we need to focus in for the rest of the sermon. I was thinking, I heard a song, and I'm just going to read uh, two stanzas in the chorus of this song. It's a country music song. Every now and then they do get something right. It's not a Christian song, even though it mentions God. But it says, I turned on the evening news. I saw an old man being interviewed, turning 102 today, and I and asked him, what's the secret to life? He looked up from his old pipe and laughed and said, this is all I can say. Don't blink. Just like that, you're six years old, and you take a nap, and you wake up, and you're 25, and your high school sweetheart becomes your, your wife. Don't blink. You might miss your babies growing like mine did, turning into moms and dads. Next thing you know, your better half of 50 years is there in bed, and you're praying that God takes you instead. Trust me, friend, a hundred years goes faster than you think, so don't blink. I was glued to my TV when, I, when it looked like he looked at me and said, best start putting first things first. Because when your hourglass runs out of sand, you can't flip it over and start again. Take every breath God gives you for what it's worth. So I've been trying to slow it down, been trying to take it in. In this here, today, gone tomorrow world, we're living in. Don't blink. Life goes faster than you think. There's more to it than that. But for our purposes, it's a perspective. That's all I wanted you to see on that. It's a perspective. We look, 100 years, wow, that's... But this guy's saying, no, it's a, it's, it's a blink of your eye. And I've got to tell you, this psalm agrees. Or that agrees with this psalm is a better way to say it. Because it is. It's like a sigh. It's like yesterday when it's gone. It's just that quick. And it is. And it goes faster. Third point this morning is... We need to look forward to His coming. In verse 13, it says, Do return, O Lord. How long will it be? And be sorry for thy servants. Lord, when will it be over? When will this hard life be over? That's a different way of looking at it. Sometimes we're like, I need more time. And the psalmist is like, when's it going to be over? When are you going to take me home? When are you going to come for me? We know according to the New Testament, it could happen any time. But verse 14 says, when do I get a break? Because here's where it goes. Right where you're at now may be one of those really, really tough times in your life. Oh, Lord, satisfy us in the morning with thy loving kindness, with your grace, your mercy, your faithfulness, your unchanging love, your kindness. Lord, when can I catch a break in this world? And the third part is, when can I laugh again? Because it might be a few hours, a few days, a few years since you've been able to laugh and enjoy life. It says in the end of verse 14, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days which thou hast afflicted us and the years which have seen evil. The questions are here. So, Lord, when are you coming? When is it going to be over so I don't have to deal with this anymore? When do I get a break and when can I laugh again? I'll tell you what, you might actually be there. I know there are people in this congregation that are right there. Lord, when can I catch a break? 
when can I laugh again? When I can have joy in my life again? But I want to end with something very positive. Because in the midst of all that, the real issue is look for God to change you so you can look forward. This life is not easy. But what God ultimately wants to do, what he is more concerned about than any other thing, is will we allow God to change us and mold us and shape us into the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? That's how it ends. It doesn't use those particular words, but this is what it says, verse 16. Let thy work appear to thy servants and thy majesty to their children. That's God's working. Lord, in the midst of this affliction, this hard time, Lord, show me you're working in my life. Lord, change me. I'd like the circumstances to change, and he can do that, of course, but he doesn't promise to do that. He promises we're getting older. Time's short. Time's hard. But in the midst of that, he wants to change you for your good, for his glory. And verse 17, let the favor of the Lord be upon us. Lord, let us see your beauty. Let us see the pleasure of living with you in the midst of the hard things. Remember, we're not sitting here with our head in the sand saying, oh, if we trust the Lord, all the bad stuff will go away. No, but in the midst of it, he wants to change you. And then you will understand how powerful he is, how eternal he is. And we will see how wonderful he is. And then it ends with this. And do confirm for us the work of your hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Lord, give us something in the midst of this that's an accomplishment. Lord, as tough as it is, help us not to stop. Help us not to quit. But Lord, help us to allow you to change us to shape us, to see you for who you are, and then give us confirmation that indeed we are living with you and for you and in your power. That's how it ends. We are his crowning of his, we are the crowning of his creation. He has chosen to work in us in spite of, in the midst of, and yes, even because of the hard times that we live in. He wants to change us, mold us. He wants to show us who he is. And he wants to show us in the midst of this, the year ahead, that he is confirming and showing that we can, in spite of all the handicaps, in spite of all the setbacks, in spite of all the sin nature in this world and in our bodies, he wants to show us, confirm in us, that our hands can accomplish something. See, God's not in despair. We can easily get in despair. <laughs> it takes minutes, seconds sometimes, a few days at the most. Then we go from everything's okay to we're so low we can't see up hardly. But God doesn't want us there. He wants to confirm to us that indeed there is something he wants us to accomplish. My challenge is this. Regardless of what happened last year, regardless of what happened ne happens next year, this is what we look forward to. God is going to and wants to change me. The only question that's left is, am I going to live under the circumstances or am I going to allow God to change me?
That's what he wants to do. Let's pray. And as, the, as uh, John and, and Scott gather for serving the Lord's Supper, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you're a God that transcends time and the space and all of the, the hardships of this life. Lord, we thank you that we can trust you and that no matter what happens, no matter how bad it seems, how dark it is, that you are still there. We can see you in all your beauty. We can see your work in our lives. And, Lord, we can have results for the work of our hands, accomplishments because of what you are doing. Lord, help us always to keep our focus on you so that we do not get distracted permanently by the things of this world. Lord, help us now in the year ahead. In Jesus' name. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink from it, all of you. The Word of God says they sang a hymn and went out from that place. If you would stand, please, and turn to hymn number 177, we'll sing all four stanzas, or all the stanzas of that hymn, please. Hymn number 177, Good Christian Men Rejoice. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Give it to what we say. News, news, Jesus Christ is born today. Oxen has been for him bow, and he is in the major now. Christ is born today. Christ is born today. Good Christian men rejoice with hurt and soul and voice. Now in this bliss, joy, joy, Jesus Christ. 